so what we're going to talk about this morning, like the holiness ends up being kind of weird, like we're not sure. And so when I, I hit Google this week, I typed in weird Christians. That's the video that came up. And I'm like, I have to share. How many of you did, listen, seriously, how many of you did not know that Kyle used to be in a traveling trio? Like you didn't know? That was, well, totally not. All right. Well, and so some of, the, some of you are thinking, I didn't think that was weird. And so listen, uh, you're weird if you thought that, okay? So um, this week, let me invite you to turn your Bibles and turn to First Peter uh, chapter 1 again for a, a second message in our Living Hope series uh, titled, Be Holy, Not Weird. And just in case you're a guest, we're, we are, that was weird. We're acknowledging that, okay? So this morning, uh, we're turning, let me, let me set the context of, of First Peter, uh, because we didn't do that last week. And normally we start a book series, we'll do that, but we didn't do that on purpose last week. So let me kind of give you an idea of what's going on and catch you up to speed on the conversation or the uh, context of this uh, text. So the Apostle Peter's writing to what most scholars would agree, of, uh, a group of believers who are suffering uh, in Rome. And the reason for their suffering is twofold. Uh, number one, uh, the Apostle Paul has just died. And so for us, like we're like, like, we understand that you're sad, but like grieving and suffering and those things you need to understand some. This was truly a spiritual father for them. Uh, this was a guy who led them to Christ or people he sent out had led them to Christ. Christianity was incredibly new as the first century. And so anytime they struggled or got off course or had questions, uh, he, he was the guy. And so it truly was their spiritual father. So, so imagine in your life the most spiritually influential person in your life. Uh, that, that was Paul to many of these new believers. And so they're, they're suffering through their grief because Paul has died at this point in time. Also, uh, history tells us they were experiencing persecution under the reign of a guy named Nero. And uh, we, we understand that a little bit of persecution, but, but nowhere near the level that they did. Nero uh, decided to, to set Rome on fire. And so you can imagine, uh, there's a little backlash over that, right? Like people weren't totally excited that he set the city on fire. And so in order to deflect the criticism, uh, he blamed it on the Christians. And he just said, well, I, you know, the Christians did that and they're revolting against Roman authority. And so he began to persecute them to deflect uh, from himself. And so he did things like he, he found animal skins and made costumes out of them and then made Christians put them on and then set them loose and then turn wild dogs loose until they, they killed them. Uh, he would have them put on shirts that had been dipped in wax and he would attach them to trees or poles and light them on fire to illuminate his gardens. And so 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 we understand persecution, but but they totally understood that. But but here's the deal. It doesn't matter uh, whether it's 65 A.D., which is about the time of this writing or 2015, the principles as it relates to suffering well and walking through a season of suffering with your hope not diminished, with your faith Faith strengthened with your joy not diminished uh, is still relevant today, even if we're not suffering persecution at the same level. And so while we understand the book is primarily about hope in the midst of suffering, it does seem odd when, when you're reading through First Peter that right on the heels of uh, verses three through nine, he's like, hey, you're suffering. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Uh, he, he seems to change gears in verses 13 through 21, our passage today, as he begins to talk about holiness. And so it seems like the, that isn't a natural conversation, like don't lose hope, but be holy. OK, but it's not. Let me let me tell you why. The reason it seems weird of a transition is because unfortunately, Hope has a positive connotation and holiness has a negative connotation when, when nothing could be further from the truth. But if we're honest, if I just said, hey, we're going to talk about hope, you're like, oh, I'm totally excited. If you said, hey, we're going to talk about holiness, you're like, ah, right, like, like, I know that's good, but I'm not as excited as talking. That's why it seems weird. 
is because the connotation of holiness is negative. Grit your teeth, no fun, just grind it out and you'll laugh when you get to heaven, okay? And so it seems totally weird. Uh, we, we look at holiness like a dentist appointment. It's good for us, but I'm not still that excited about it, okay? And so let me tell you why else it's not a true change of gears. Here, here's why. Because when you're suffering... One of the great temptations is just to throw in the towel, to no longer pursue Christ or his righteousness or personal holiness. Because when you're suffering, what you want is not holiness. What your flesh wants is relief. And at times, if the suffering is deep enough and it's gone long enough, you're even willing to pursue sin because sin uh, is pleasurable to our flesh or else we wouldn't pursue it. You're even willing to forfeit all your testimony and pursuing Christ just to get a little sinful relief and the pleasure that sin provides if the suffering has gone on. So, so this is not a change of gears. He's basically saying, hey, guys, you're getting persecuted. You're grieving because Paul has died. And so, so here's the temptation. When you're suffering, you're incredibly vulnerable to give in to temptation, because even though there's consequence of sin, sometimes if you've been suffering long enough, even if it's wrong, you just want to be happy. Am I preaching? Am I being honest this morning? And so the script, that's exactly, so this is not a change of conversation here. He's just walking you through. Hey, listen, you're suffering. There's hope. And by the way, you don't have to forfeit uh, pursuing Christ in this. You can grow in holiness as a result of this. And so that's what he's describing. Uh, and so when suffering gets really bad, we're willing to trade the long term consequence of sin for the temporary pleasure that it provides. I read, read a story uh, or study, I'm sorry, of pastors uh, a couple of years ago who were involved in immorality. Uh, and it spoke exactly to this very thing. When interviewing these pastors, uh, there was a common theme that kept occurring. Uh, they said this. I was completely drained emotionally. I was depressed. I was, they were struggling. Uh, I was so down that my emotions needed a jolt. So I gave them one. Almost every single pastor, that, that was the description uh, when they got involved in immorality. In other words, I was suffering and I wanted to stop. So I was willing to trade the long term consequences for a little pleasure that my sin afforded me. And so that's exactly what he's describing. We all know stories of people who lost hope in the midst of suffering. They were trying to do the right thing, trying to honor Christ, but it wasn't producing the right outcome. Matter of fact, it only produced more suffering. And so they just said, forget it. I'm just going to throw in the towel and I'm no longer interested in holiness. I just want to be happy. Like I've been suffering long enough. How long, oh Lord, right? And so I'm just, even if sin has consequences, I just want to be happy for a little bit. And I've been suffering so, so he's not changing gears at all. This is real life, a real conversation. And it really happens in the midst of suffering, you are tempted to pursue the pleasure that sin offers, even if it is for a season. So Peter's saying these uh, new believers here, he says it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, you can suffer emotionally and physically and still remain strong spiritually because of the living hope inside of you. First Peter uh, chapter one, verse three. And so, so here, here's why this is relevant. And then we'll get in the text. We all know stories of people who have thrown in the town, do we not? We all know stories of people who just finally said, just, you know what, if this is what it's like to follow Christ, I'd just rather be sinful because I, I just want some happiness. And some of those people never recover because some of them get physically addicted to that sin. Uh, some of them uh, spiritually become so dominated by shame that even though the father is on the porch waiting for the prodigal to walk across the field, they're so ashamed they can't even look back towards the house. 
And so this is a relevant message, even though we don't naturally gravitate towards holiness. Like, like oh, I know it's good for me, but I'm not that excited about it. Listen, this is incredibly relevant because when you walk through a season of suffering, it will be the first thing you're willing to cash in and say, you know what? I'll trade that holiness for a little happiness uh, during this season. So that's exactly the context he's writing. He's not changing gears at all. OK, so that's the text and the context of first Peter chapter one. Uh, verse 13 through 21, uh, in a message titled, Be Holy, Not Weird. Okay? Uh, so, beginning of verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Like, <laughs> that's weird in and of itself. Is it not? Like, who, who says that? Right? Like, like, go to work tomorrow and go, what'd you, what'd you learn this weekend? Just repeat that verse. Okay? That's all you need to say. So, we'll, we'll talk about it. I understand that's a little weird. Now, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And then in verse 17, if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold or from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but. With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope, and there's that word again, uh, are in God. So when we look at uh, the idea of, of this uh, passage and this idea of holiness and, and what does it mean? So, so here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm just going to make one point this morning. You may get the end of it like there's no point, right? I get that. But I'm just going to make one point this morning and then help you understand it. Then I want to talk about how, how do we get motivated toward the principle we're going to talk about this morning. So, so the challenge in this text and for our lives uh, today is simply this. Choose holiness in the midst of suffering because it is the responsibility of your salvation. It is the responsibility of your salvation. Now, I, now here's what some of you have, have kind of the cultures created. Our churches have even fed into this. that The idea of salvation by grace is devoid of all responsibility. But like, how can you talk about responsibility and grace? Like that, that's oil and water. Those are mutually exclusive. Listen, I've said this many, many times. Let me say it once more so that we can embrace this. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. Those are not mutually exclusive things. So when we talk about uh, the responsibility that I own something of my salvation that God gave me, those are not mutually exclusive terms over and over and over. And scripture says you were born, you were bought, you were purchased. And the responsibility of that gift is, is like this. And so we live in a cheap grace culture. So anytime someone talks about the responsibilities associated with uh, legalism or, or salvation, we, we want to crowd legalism. Like, right? Like anytime someone talks about responsibility, we're like, oh, you're so legalistic. Let, let me help you understand, because we're going to talk about holiness this morning. Let me help you understand, because it is very, very easy and often done, confuse the difference between holiness and legalism. So, so you can write this down or just embrace this, internalize it, whatever you do, but to retain this, because here's the difference. Holiness is taking serious what God expects. Legalism is adding to what God expects. That, that, that's the difference. When God says, here's my expectation, I take it serious. Why? Because I'm interested in holiness. 
But when I start adding to that, uh, that's legalism. So holiness is taking seriously what God expects. Legalism is adding to uh, what God expects. And if you want to study the idea of holiness in the New Testament, uh, my conviction is that First Peter chapter 1 is probably the primary passage in all the New Testament as it relates to the idea and teaching of holiness. And so... Let's take a deeper look at the text, because quite honestly, uh, we often don't understand holiness. Uh, We've been conditioned to think that holiness is external when when nothing could be further from the truth. Like that there may be some things when you're pursuing holiness on the inside, there may be some things externally that, 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 that are the fruit of that. It may show up in in some external things, but but hear me this morning. If you start off with the mindset thinking that holiness is something on the outside that you produce by by whatever you do or don't do, then then you've only got two uh, outcomes to that. Either A, you end up legalistic and there's no joy in that, or B, you end up weird, okay? And so, so those are the outcomes. And so Scripture is going to talk us through, but we don't often understand uh, this idea. And so we end up doing things like, like, you know, certain behavioral things or not doing certain things that we think are holy when the culture asks us, you know, it's just weird. And I don't care what your mama told you. Listen, weird ain't attractive. Amen. Like only to a mother. But when my heart is producing holiness, that is attractive because here, here's the cool thing. When you look at the New Testament. Jesus was sinless. Scripture says he was tempted at all points, but yet he sinned not. And so Jesus obviously was the perfect embodiment of holiness. Here's the interesting thing. People who people uh, who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. Like like the way he was led, he wasn't watering down, he wasn't compromising. Listen, he's committed to holiness, but it was attractive to people. All right. And so so when we talk about this, here's what I want you to understand uh, when it comes to holiness. We're just going to walk through this passage and let the text speak for itself. So so what is holiness? And the text gives us some descriptors uh, here. So first off, holiness uh, is a mindset. It is a mindset. This is foundational because if you don't understand that holiness is a mindset, you'll end up with some kind of external code, list and do's and don'ts. And then you'll adhere to that and think that holiness is being produced in your heart. And it won't be because holiness is, is a mindset. Two years ago, I preached a series called Bullseye, where we learned together that intimacy is the goal, but obedience is the overflow. Adrian Rogers uh, used to say this. He used to say holiness is not the way to Jesus. Jesus uh, is the way to holiness. And so the idea that it starts off with a mindset, and basically the mindset is this, uh, it's a desire to be set apart for honorable use. Like if you want to define holiness and say holiness defined, set apart for honorable use. And so we understand that's exactly uh, what the scripture talks about. We, we see this repeated all over in scripture. Let me just give you one example. First uh, Corinthians or First Chronicles 23, we read of Aaron, the priest, Moses' brother, being set apart or made unique in his capacity to offer sacrifices. So God called him that and set him apart for that honorable use or honorable service uh, there is uh, ministering to the people. And so, uh, but it always starts off with a mindset. Never, never, never on the outside. Look at verse uh, 13 again. Therefore, gird up the loins uh, of your mind. And so now, uh, like I get, there's a fine line between weird and holy. I just, just said all that. And so when you read verse 13, you're like, ah, that's a little weird, right? Like, like nobody talks like that. If you told people like that's, you know, what did you do this weekend? We go to work tomorrow. You said, you know what? I gird up the loins of my mind. They're just going to start backing up. OK, like hey, that's weird. And so what does he mean by that so that we can understand it's not as weird as it sounds. Uh, so gird up the loins of your mind is basically a, a figure of speech. 
And the reason is because in their day, uh, men wore long outer robes. And so they got in the way when they needed to run or work or fight in a battle. So they would tuck their robes into a belt so that they wouldn't be a hindrance. And so uh, we might use the expression here would be a parallel expression in our culture. Uh, roll up your sleeves. So that, that's what he's saying here in verse 13. He says, listen, if you're going to pursue holiness, then you've got to roll up your sleeves. You have to have a mindset that is centered on that uh, because the reason is holiness always starts off in your mind, in your thoughts. Sinful actions always start off with sinful thoughts. Sinful expressions of anger always start off with angry thoughts. Sinful expressions of greed always start off with thoughts of self-entitlement. So the call here in verse 13 to be alert or sober is simply the recognition is that if you don't have a mindset that's geared towards holiness, it's never going to happen. That what may happen is you may say, I'm going to, you know, I'm interested in that. I'll become more like Christ. And so, so I'm going to, I'm going to do all these external things. And after a while, that just, that just gets tiring. It just gets old. It doesn't lead to any change. And it's a lot of effort. And so scripture says this, it all starts off in your thought life. And so let me make this as natural, uh, as simple as possible. The person who is pursuing holiness has the mindset that wants to wage war against their sin. That's, that's the mindset. And there are lots of folks who, who don't totally have that mindset because here, here's what happens as it relates to our sin and our, our sinful expressions. And we get trapped in patterns of sin. Here's what, what we're uh, often finding ourselves doing is simply this, is that we're coming to a place of, of just confession. Like, I, I do, I do sin this way. I, I, I know it's a problem, but, but God forgives. And so I'm just, you know, God, God knows my heart and those kind of things. And so they stop short just solely at confession. But the person who has a mindset that's waging war against their patterns of sin, they're not totally content to stop at confession. That's a starting point. They have a desire to turn from their sinfulness. And we call that repentance. And so that's the mindset of a person who's, who's not saying, yeah, I sin and I, and I struggle with this and pray for me and God forgive those kind of, listen, that's all true. But the person whose mindset, the person who has rolled up their sleeves is not content to acknowledge their sin. They want to turn from it. And so holiness always starts off in the, in the mind and the thoughts because here's the deal. If you ever want to get a handle on sinful patterns in your life, it always starts off with your thoughts. And so that's the person who's pursuing holiness. They understand it's the mindset. And the reality is because it all starts in my thoughts. Listen, here's the reality. You cannot put garbage in and expect holiness to come out. Can I just tell you something? There's not a person in this room who needs help getting your mind to gravitate towards sinful thoughts. Did you know that? Like, no, like you're experts. I'm an expert. I don't need your help. And so don't don't aid the process. Don't add fuel to the fire. Uh, and so scripture says, how do things get into my thought life? Listen, the only way things get into your mind and dominate your thoughts before it shows up in sinful behavior is I allow it to come into my mind through my eyes and through my ears. And so you've got to be incredibly uh, guarded in those two gates that are allowing your thoughts. Scripture says this in Matthew chapter six, verse twenty two. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your whole body. When your eye or what you take in is good, your whole body is filled uh, with light. And so you say, like, what does that mean practically? Let me just give you a cultural thing. Some of you are going to get mad that I say this. And that, that's totally fine. Uh, listen, listen, when I think of that and I understand that verse, and I understand that, that holiness always starts off with a mindset and the battle for holiness is not my actions. It's always in my thoughts. Then you've got to be incredibly careful what you allow into your mind. So, so, so here's what I'm going to say is this. Listen, 50 shades of gray should turn you 100 shades of red. If you're pursuing holiness in your thought life. 
And so the scripture clearly says you cannot take sinful thoughts into your ears and in your mind and not let it affect your your thought life, which in turn settles in your heart, which drives your actions. Everything that you do is the overflow of what's in your heart. Proverbs 4.23. And the only way it gets in your heart is it settles in your mind. And the only way it settles in your mind is you allow it through your eyes and through your ears. And so the person pursuing holiness is starting off with the the thought life. And here's here's, here's the thought. How how do you know? Like like we all see the evidence of a lack of holiness. Like look at that. Look, I did that. I'm ashamed. All this kind of thing. But, But how do you know if in your thought pattern you have a mindset where your sleeves are rolled up like verse 13 talks about? Here's the difference. The mind set on holiness doesn't ask how far can I go and still be good with God? The mind centered on holiness asks how close can I get to Jesus? How close can I get to Jesus? And so it all starts off with a mindset. Secondly, uh, holiness and understanding it uh, is this, is that obedience is the fruit of that mindset. When you make obedience the goal instead of the fruit, you end up with dry, dead religion. It's just legalistic. But verse 14 says, if you truly have a mindset that wants holiness, that's waging war against your sin, it will show up in your life. Listen, listen, not perfectly, but consistently. You see, where's that at? Verse 14. What does he say in verse 14? First Peter chapter one, verse 14 says, uh, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts. And so, so he says there, there, that should show up in your life. And so let me make this as plain and as simple as possible. The pursuit of holiness calls you to make a clean break uh, with your former lifestyle. You say, say how, how, how do I do that? You start off with your thoughts. You take every thought captive to Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses four and five. You, you, you want to change your life. Romans chapter one, uh, chapter 12, verse one. You renew your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse two. And so the way that holiness shows up in your life consistently in your habits is, you know, your thoughts are centered on not what can I get away with and still be cool with God. Listen, the, the person who's pursuing that thing, how close can I get to Jesus? So, so practical brass packs. When you encounter a situation in your life where you're not sure what to do. You're not sure what the right thing to do or the, right, the godly thing is. To, listen, here's a simple question. The mind centered on holiness. This is a thought pattern. The mind centered on holiness asks this question. Will it move me closer to the father? Not can I do it and will God forgive it? Not can, you know, can I do that and still be cool with God? I give you multiple scenarios. Listen, that's irrelevant. Listen, the question you need to ask in pursuing holiness, if it starts off with a mindset like verse 13 talks about, is simply this. Will this move me closer to the Father or does it have the potential to move me further away from the Father? Listen, anytime the answer is yes. It has the potential to move me further away from the Father. It may not be sin, but hear me this morning. It is not wise. And so it always starts over the mindset. It says, can this move me close to the Father? Or does it have the potential to move me away from the Father? Now, let me ask you a question. Why would you ever choose any activity, relationship, fill in the blank? It doesn't matter. That's all irrelevant. Why would you choose anything that the answer to the question of does it have the potential to move me away from the Father? Why would you ever choose that activity or relationship or whatever the case is? You say, I don't know. Listen, let me tell you why. Because your mindset is not on holiness. Your mind is asking questions. Can I and still be cool with God instead of can I get closer to the father? That's that's the mindset that holiness, as long as that's the mindset, that intimacy with God is the mindset. Holiness will take care of itself. It will take care of itself in the actions. And so uh, so 
Scripture clearly says uh, that you, you cannot play church and pursue holiness at the same time. He says your former lust, all the things he said, you have to make a break uh, with that lifestyle. You cannot pursue holiness and continue in sexual sin. You cannot pursue holiness and party every weekend. You cannot pursue holiness and cheat your boss and the government and taxes and all that kind of stuff. Because Jesus clearly said you cannot serve two masters. You will love the one and hate the other. And so holiness is a mindset, first and foremost, foundational. Secondly, holiness will show up in your actions if your mindset is where it should be. And third thing, here's the third thing about our responsibility of our salvation, is that holiness is the clear expectation of God. It's the clear, listen, and I know, like that preaching on holiness is not popular. I know that it doesn't sell tickets, but can I just tell you this? It is the clear teaching of the word of God. And so holiness is the clear expectation of God. And so uh, where's that in the text? Look at verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, now here, here's the problem. We don't totally understand the holiness of God. And so because we're not, we don't totally understand it, we're not, we're not sure practically what it looks like in our own lives. And it's, listen, it's normal that you don't understand the holiness of God because it's one of the characteristics of God that makes him different than us. And so I came across this descriptor of this idea in a, in a commentary this week. And so let me just share a little paragraph here. It says, the holiness of God is the most difficult of all God's attributes to explain, partly because it's one of the attributes that is not shared inherently by man. We are creating God's image and we can share many of his attributes to a much lesser extent, like love and mercy and faithfulness. But some of God's attributes, such as his omnipresence and omniscience and omnipotence, will never be shared by created beings. Similarly, uh, you, you understand what I'm saying, that was Hebrew for similar. Holy, holiness is not something we'll possess as an inherent part of our nature. We only become holy in Christ. And it's what separates God from all other beings. It's what makes him distinct. God's holiness is more than just his perfection. Listen to this. I love this. It is the essence of his otherness. And so let's get honest. That, 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 like, that's a helpful description. Like, okay, I get, I get holy is what makes God distinct. And we have a culture that doesn't embrace that, even though that's the most distinct part of his nature. Like we have a culture that says, let's talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and the, you know, all those kind of things. But scripture says the most defining characteristic of God is his holiness. And so, that, so we understand that. But here's the problem. It's a little discouraging. Because when we think of the holiness of God, and it's what makes him different. We can very quickly resign ourselves and say, you know what? I'm not even pursuing holiness because it's never, like I cannot be that. That's why God is God and I'm not. And so we just end up resolving ourselves and confessing sin, but never leaving it and never pursuing holiness. Because like, well, I'm not God. I mean, only God's holy, right? And so, so here, here's the question. Listen, when I, when my life is over. And if we're honest, that's like two double cheeseburgers away. Can we go just if we're honest about that, okay? Here's what I want people to say about my ministry. It was biblical and it was practical. Because if it's not biblical, there's no power. If it's not practical, it's not helpful. And so, so here's what it is. So biblically, I've taught you, here's what holiness is and you know, responsibility theologically and all, this, all that kind of stuff. But, but let me make this as practical as possible because here's the practical question. How do we grow in our hunger for holiness? Like, I understand verse 15 and 16 says, be holy because I'm holy. Like, I get that. But practically speaking, how do we get motivated to grow in our hunger for holiness? Because if we're honest, again, uh, it's a lot like going uh, to the dentist. 
Like we know it's a good thing. We know it's to our benefit, but we're still not excited about it, right? Like, like I went to the dentist two weeks ago and had my teeth cleaned. So like when I left, I was, I did what every one of you did. I ran my tongue across my teeth 2000 times on the way home, right? Like I love that feeling, but I wasn't excited about going. You know why? It's because every time I go to the dentist, there is a crisis of integrity every time I sit down. Because when the, the girl walks up, here's what she says every single time. Now, are you flossing every day? And I'm like you, like I just like look away and start to mumble and trail off, right? And then she starts to like floss your teeth and like a pint of blood comes out. You're like, <gasps> right? And they always ask accusatory, never inquisitory. Amen. You flossing every day. You know, I'm not just keep, keep cleaning. So in seasons of suffering, like if we're just honest that holiness is something we're not excited about, when you're suffering, you're really not excited about it because it sounds like a lot of work. Okay? But God calls us to it. So how to reconcile this thing? So I'll make this as practical as possible in the last few minutes to get together. Verse four, uh, verses 17 through 21 provides us with some reasons why we should be motivated towards holiness. And we're going to walk through these. Uh, we'll spend the most time on the first one. Just hit the next one uh, pretty quickly. Okay? So, so reason number one is simply this. It's reverent fear in the present. And if there's anything that we do not like in our culture, it's talking about the fear of God. Like we like the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God because that puts people in the seats and props up weak egos. But can I just tell you that biblically, that we understand who God is and the fact that he's holy, there should be a reverent fear of God in the present. Now, what what do you mean by reverent fear? Here's what it means. It is a wholesome dread of displeasing God. It's not God's going to squash me and here comes a lightning bolt. Listen, it is a wholesome dread of displeasing God. God. And so when you understand that why the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God is what gets the most uh, marketing because it gets it's popular. People like it because we're the benefactors of that. But listen, when you understand scripture, you realize that, that, that the attribute that defines God the most is his, who he is, is the holiness of God. You say, how do you know that? Because it's the only attribute of God that is repeated when it's given as a descriptor. For example, the scripture never says God is love, love, love. Scripture never says God is eternal, eternal, eternal. But at multiple places, the scripture describing God says he is holy, holy, holy. That's what we just sang about in the Revelation song. Why? Because that's right out of the scripture. Isaiah chapter six says this. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4, 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the reason when we understand that that is the most defining attribute of who God is, is a holy God. It should produce a reverent fear, a a wholesome dread of displeasing a holy God. But we have a culture that does not like that, that does not believe that. And the reason I know we have a culture that, that, listen, if we're just honest this morning, we have a culture and a church culture in North America where we, we advertise the love of God. Listen, God is love. Scripture says I'm not downplaying that. We advertise the love of God, but we do it at the expense of the holiness of God. Why? Because it sells more tickets. And the reason I know we have a culture who loves the love of God, but, but hates the holiness of God. The reason I know is because the standard of truth has revealed. You say, what's the standard of truth? It's Facebook. Did you, I don't know if you knew that or not. 
Get on Facebook and see how many people who, who, who would never profess to be a Christian or who give some kind of profession to be a Christian, but, but there's absolutely not an ounce of, of, of fruit in their lives and there's not, you know, the, any of those kinds of things, but they have no problem. They're not grieved at all by telling someone else, I'm praying for you. Now, that is a nice sentiment. I'm not, you know, discrediting that at all. But here's the deal. When a person who has not been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ thinks they can come into the presence of God and make intercession for someone else, they know about the love of God, but they know nothing about the holiness of God. Because when people in Scripture came into the presence of a thrice holy God, it was never, wow, this is need. It was always face in the dirt. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean generation. Holy, holy, holy. And so when I understand that, it should produce a reverent fear in me, a wholesome displeasure at the thought of displeasing God. And that should motivate us towards holiness. I don't want to displease a God who is holy. And I'm not going to get it right. We're not talking about legalistic perfection, but my heart is set in that direction. Now that, all right, let me just give the other ones. We're going to run out of time. So, so uh, the second reason to motivate us towards holiness is future evaluation and rewards. Like one day you and I will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives and pursuing holiness will have eternal value. You say, where do you see that in the text? Verse 17. And if you call on a father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. What's he talking about? The judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, also known as the Bema seat. He's saying one day, listen, you're going to stand before the Lord. Not, not in a con- condemning kind of way. It's just it's granting eternal rewards. And everything you did that was pursuing holiness, it'll come forth as uh, precious stone, jewels, all those things. But everything that wasn't pursuing holiness and this wood, hay and stubble consumed. And so that should motivate me. That my eternal rewards are governed some degree by which I'm pursuing holiness in the present. Also, we should be motivated by the fact that, uh, that holiness gives evidence of our citizenship in heaven and our freedom from our sin. Uh, look at verses 17, 18, the end of verse 17. He says, conduct yourselves throughout the time you stay here in fear. Again, that's that reverent fear we talked about, not, not lightning bolt stuff. Reverent fear. What does he mean you stay here? He's saying, listen, th- this is not your home. Heaven, listen, you're not citizens, you're citizens of heaven. And so give evidence of it by the way that you live. And then he says in verse 18, uh, you are redeemed. What does that mean? He says, you're no longer a slave to your sin. You're free not to sin. You're free to pursue Jesus Christ without being a slave and dominated by your sin. And so holiness is me running in that direction of my freedom to serve the Lord. It's giving evidence to the fact that, yes, I was uh, a slave to these sins, but I've been set free. I've been redeemed is what we sing. And so lastly, the reason it motivates me towards holiness here in the text is this humble gratitude. Like if you're, if you're not pursuing holiness and you're just totally content over here, like yeah, I'm going to confess my sin and say it's wrong, but I'm not going to forsake it. Listen to what you're saying is that every time you do that, you're trampling underfoot the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You're treating something that is holy. You're treating it like it's common. You say, where's that in the text? What's verse 19 say? Chapter 1, verse 19 says, You were bought with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so what he's saying is, listen, when you understand the price that was paid for you to purchase you and redeem you from your old sin nature, it should motivate you to holiness out of gratitude. So let me wrap up this morning by 
Tell me why pursuing holiness is so important in a season of suffering, because that's the whole first Peter's all about. It's because suffering is a season, but the shame and consequences of not choosing holiness can last a lifetime. Can last a lifetime. Suffering from loneliness is a season, but the shame of sexual sin and consequences will last far longer. Even though God forgives, we often can't forgive ourselves. Suffering in a miserable or underpaying job is a season, but the pain of forfeiting your integrity does not fade quickly. Suffering in your marriage is a season, but the guilt from an affair is hard to shake. Suffering in an unreconciled relationship is a season, but bitterness of choosing not to forgive can defile you for a lifetime. And so that's what he's saying. He said, hey, listen, if you're suffering, you are open to so much temptation. But don't give in. And I know that sin is calling out and saying, I'll give you some relief. I'll give you some. This is, you, you deserve to be happy. I'm just I'm going to say this. I'm going to go over for a minute or two. And so I hope that's OK. If it's not, you, you can leave. I am so tired of hearing pastors say. That we love people, so we don't we, we, we preach the love of God because we just love our people. We, need to, we don't preach the holiness and all that stuff because we just love our people. We just love our people. Can I tell you this? I'm tired of sitting across of lives that have been destroyed by sin. And its consequences. So I'm going to preach on holiness instead. Why? Because I love people. And I don't want to see your life get ruined. That's it. Let's bow our heads.